Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I'm so glad that you are here. Welcome, everyone. If you are new, we are glad that you found us, and everyone else, welcome back. Today, we have a fabulous discussion about a topic that we all have sort of lingering in the back of our head at all times. It is the topic of pornography. We we can't stop talking about this because it's just continuously becoming more and more of a problem. It just continues to be a big problem with our kids. But I was thinking about this this morning. I'm writing an article and um, I just thought I would share this just for a second. So there is a big question in our culture about when is the best age for a smartphone. In fact, every parent asks this question, you know, when is the best age? When is the best age? In fact, I think it's probably one of the most asked questions out there in all of the world of parenting today. And the reason why we're asking so many questions about it is because we know in our gut that something isn't right. We don't tend to ask questions about things that we know are right. So we tend to ask questions about things that we know are not right. And they're not right because the content on these small little toxic devices in our kids' pockets are, it's just so prevalent and it is so toxic and it's violent and it's sexual and it's toxic. So this is why we in our little mom and dad radars pop up. This is why we're worried about it. We ask tons of questions and then we collect opinions from lots of people who really don't know what they're doing yet with this issue. They have kids, our kids' ages. They have little kids. They don't know what to do. So they're all kind of asking each other this question. And so we get a lot of opinions and we're, and we're not really getting as many facts as we need. And so today we're going to talk a little about those facts. But I want to just say one more thing before we get started with our speaker. It, it occurred to me that the minute that we ask this question, we get all of our opinions in order, maybe not so many facts, right? We start immediately shopping for parental controls. Now, why is this? The reason why is because we're giving our kids something that needs to be locked down. So that's a huge warning sign, big, big warning sign. We are locking down, first of all, something that can't really be locked down. And we are so concerned about it. And my question to everyone out there who's asking this question is why are we giving them this to begin with if we're so concerned about it um, as we should be? And why are we giving them something that we immediately have to lock down 90% of it? So it just doesn't really make any sense. And I'm, I'm there with everybody who's listening. I'm a parent. I've made all these mistakes, but it just started to occur to me. um, If we have a sick feeling in our gut and if we have this huge warning sign, maybe we shouldn't ignore it. Maybe we can go for 48 months of high school without having the internet in our kids' pockets. I don't know. Just a thought. I think we're, we're all figuring this out over at ScreenStrong. We're figuring out that this really works. And again, the reason why this is such a big topic is because this is such a big problem. And the biggest problem is pornography on, on the phones, not even to mention the waste of time and all that. Um, but just imagine a world where you would have a smartphone with no porn on it, then we probably wouldn't have all these questions. So we got to really face it. And we're going to talk about today. Our speaker today is Barb Winters. She was faced with the issue surrounding pornography in her own home 
with with her own son. And and really very similar to me with my situation with our son and video gaming and all that. Barb looked around and she realized, hey, there needs to be more conversations about this. I feel so alone. We need to build a community. And we are so excited that she did. She is a certified sexual risk avoidance specialist and has completed extensive research on pornography and its effects on individuals and society. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Thank you, Melanie. So grateful to be here. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I just have to ask you, you are a sexual risk avoidance specialist. Just explain. I'm, I'm very proud of myself that I can even say that, right? <laughs> without without <laughs> blurring it up here. Um, but explain what that means. Sexual risk sure. avoidance specialist. Yes. Well, so because of all the information that happened in our home um, a couple of years ago, I decided to get involved with a local organization. Uh, it's a nonprofit and we go into schools and we talk to children about risky behaviors and how to avoid them. So part of my training for that position was to go through um, a training in order to to learn how to communicate to children what these risky behaviors actually are. And uh, specifically, one of the ones that we talk about is avoiding sexual activity, any types of sexual activity. And so we learned about um, all the issues surrounding sexual activity. It's not just um, physical, because we do talk about STDs, and we talk about the possibilities of getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, we talk about the emotional and the financial and um, all the, the various areas of life that it affects you when you get involved in sexual activity at a young age. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And there's so much research on that very fact that the younger that kids are exposed, the more deviant in their sexual lives they become. It's just a direct result. So let's start with um, talking about what made you passionate about this issue to begin with. Absolutely. I'll give you a little bit of my story here. Yeah. So yeah, about uh, almost six years ago now, my husband and myself and our two youngest Mm -hmm children moved to Florida. My husband's a pastor. We started planting a church and my husband and I were on a walk, just taking in the the nice Florida weather, enjoying our new surroundings. And as we rounded the corner to cross our busy street uh, to get to our house, we could see our son who was about 14 at the age standing in our yard, just hysterical. He was jumping up and down. He was motioning to us. He was crying. He was just totally upset. And as we stood there waiting for the traffic to pause so we could get across the street, both of our hearts just fell. We just couldn't imagine what was going on over there. And, you know, we were thinking, is his younger sister lying in a pool of blood? What are we going to find when we get over there? And when I finally reached him, I could barely understand his words through the gibberish. I could hear pornography. I could hear police. I could hear arrest just bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, so when I finally pieced it all together, it found, I found out that he had been watching pornography. It was a bogus warning. We found out later that popped up on his screen that said that if he, um, didn't pay money that they were going to send the police and have him arrested. And of course that just sent him into panic mode. Um, but of course I felt all the feels, you know, (laughs) shock, (laughs) confusion, anger, pain, guilt, fear. 
this just wasn't on our radar, Melanie. We never thought that one of our kids would watch pornography. It just never even occurred to me. And again, this was almost six years ago. So I didn't, I just didn't understand this was even a thing. So we put all the, we put all the, you know, the filters in place and we did some things. But the the worst part for me was that I felt completely and totally alone. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel as if I could turn to my best friend and say, Hey, my son's watching porn. How about yours? You know, it's just not a topic you bring. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, so I felt alone and, um, you know, we did what we thought was correct and acceptable at the time. But then a year and a half later, he came back to us and said that he'd never really stopped. He'd found a way around um, these boundaries and stuff that we had put into place. And again, You know, I just felt like this horrible parent, like I had ruined my son Mm -hmm. the rest of his life. Yeah. And I was suffering. I I was, you know, it was me. I I could call places, I could find help for him. I I could I could um, research articles and figure out, well, you know, what do we do? And and we did a lot of things, but in the meantime, I was dying inside. Mm. And so I was trying to find a place, a support group, if you will, or just Googling a lot, something for the parent so that I could figure out, well, what am what am I dealing with? You know, every day I would have to get up and and still be a mom. You know, tragedy happens and trauma happens, but you can't stop life. And I was trying to parent him the best I could, but I felt like I'm the one who needs help. And I did have one friend that I called who lived a couple of states away, and she really was very life-giving for me. She'd pray over me. She'd remind me that, no, you're not insane. Um, You're not crazy. Mm -hmm. You will get through this. But I didn't have a friend who had experienced experientially gone through this. Right. Or you did, but you probably didn't know you did. Ah, yes, that ex- <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So a couple years in, you know, two or three years into this, after I was sort of coming out the other end and feeling like I had made it, I was like, okay parents aren't talking about this, but we need to be. So I'm going to be the one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just going to be the one to say, I'm here for you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to encourage you because you are not alone. And that's when I started hopefulmom.net. I just hung my hat up and thought, I'm just going to be here and see what happens. And so I've been encouraging parents and supporting them. And yes, I offer practical help. Um, And yes, the question of when do I give my child a phone? That's always um, something that that parents want to know. But mostly I try and work on the other end of it, too, of like, look, we can do everything possible to stop our kids from watching pornography. And yet they're going to be on the playground playing and some friend is going to stick something under their nose and say, look at this. So what do we do first before, before that? And then what do we do after that? So I know there's a lot of people talking about the prevention and you're out there talking and that's amazing. Um, So I wanted to be the one on the other side, (laughs) the one that says, okay, after it's happened, come to me, run to me, and I will like walk you through it and support you as you're, as you're parenting your child. So that's basically my story. That's awesome. I just have a question here about this first part. Can you describe what the emotions are when 
that first exposure or when you first learned about his situation now, of course, when you were walking with your husband and then he was crying and whatever, but then how that's a bad thing, of course, obviously, and everybody feels really bad. But, but at that point you were probably thinking, okay, I'm getting the parental controls. I'm getting this under control. What were your emotions that you felt when it came back around again? I had them all over again. One of the emotions I felt, which I guess isn't really an emotion, but I was very thankful that when he got to the point that he wanted to quit, that it, he knew that this was a problem that he knew he could come to us. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, a part of it. And of course the other was that I still hadn't, I still hadn't fixed the problem. I still felt the guilt and the shame and the shock and the betrayal of a child lying to you. So it sort of started all over again it was somewhat familiar this time though. So I didn't go into panic mode as much. I think those feelings of guilt and shame and shock and all that are what sort of plague us from dealing with this very well. I think that as a culture, I think culture is really good at making us feel that way. I mean, we're good at making ourselves feel that way, but face it, it is still a very negative thing. It's so weird to me because there's so much pornography out there. The industry is so huge. And yet it's still supposed to be something that is taboo. And I'm like, well, it's just such a huge industry. And yes, I think we all deep down know that there's something wrong. Even a kid, even a very young child knows when they look at something, they know that something isn't right. But I think it's the guilt, shame, and shock that disables us um, as parents. But like what you just said, you were alone. You feel very alone. You're having all these emotions. It's the hardest thing. I have been through very similar things and it is just the hardest thing to get your head around it. Cause there's a part of you that you don't want to, you know, think it's okay. Right. It's not right. But now what I know and all the science and all the research that I've done on this, it's been so helpful is that I realized that our children and even our teenagers at these different stages of their development, they are just not capable of making these decisions. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not their fault. Right. And probably you, that's where part of your guilt comes in, right? As a mom, right. and as a parent, is we instinctively know that's too powerful for them. And yet we didn't do what we could do to guide and protect Well, and I just had a problem melding all those thoughts together because I grew up in an era when if someone watched pornography, then they're um, sort of a slimy person. Sure. It's very judgmental. You know, you you had sort of a disgust in your head. And so then when you find out your child is doing this, it's like, how do I marry these thoughts? How do I take this thought that somebody who does this is sort of monstrous Mm-hmm. And yet I'm looking at my beautiful, wonderful, loving child. And I, I know he's not a monster. So right. how do I, right. how do how I know these thoughts yeah. together? You know, and then that's why the learning about the brain science, like I, I've heard you talk about the brain science before, and we teach that 
you know, with my part-time job, we talk about the amygdala versus the prefrontal cortex and all that stuff and, and that your brain's not fully developed. And so, you know, now, yeah, now I know. And so now I can look at him and see, oh, bless his little heart. Yeah. And, and we can see them as victims and as opposed to monsters. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's, a good, that's a great point. They are created to crave novelty during this stage of their yeah. life. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's our job to be sure they have the right sort of novel things in front of them, that it's really, a, it really is about that access to, mm-hmm. to the content you know, and I, I'm, I mean, I am with you with this whole mission, with your story. I'm, I'm just so thankful that you're out there talking to moms and giving them a place to go because it is the most lonely place to be. And it, it's just, it's so frustrating. Um, we're trying so hard and parents out there everywhere, they're just really trying so hard to do, you know, the best thing without without getting criticized for overprotecting their kids and for helicoptering and all these things that we hear. And I, I just want to, again, give people who are listening this, this option of just delaying some of this. And so you might say, and even when you just mentioned, you might say, of course, well, they're going to see it anyway. But I think that I, I think that you would agree that it's still our job, no matter what, to minimize it. And absolutely. You know, we know that kids that have smartphones see more porn than kids who don't have smartphones. Period. That's that's just a fact. Access is everything. (laughs) Right. Well, and communication, sure. Oh, sure. So let's talk about communication. I want to talk about um, what what conversations. I mean, we know that conversations are not the be all end all, of course, because conversations generally don't change behavior. But but give me your your take on the best kind of conversations to have. Well, yeah. And I, one of my big pushes is education and communication. So we do need as parents to be educated, first of all, because how can we communicate if we don't know what we're talking about? Right. And I wish I would have known this. I've, years and years ago, we have older kids and I I feel like, oh, I didn't practice this very well. So, um, you know, that's all right. Learn from me. You know, sitting with our kids and listening is the most important thing, really. We want, we need to get into their world. We need to understand who they are at their core and keep our mouths shut at times instead. Mm-hmm. I'm a teacher by nature. So if you come to me and you start talking to me, I'm just, I just start overwriting and start telling you how to fix it. And so, you know, that's a really difficult thing for me, but mm-hmm. we need to be in their space in a good way, not negatively, but in their space so that we can understand who they are. And I, I talk about, um, making sure that our kids understand that we're for them because I don't think our kids know that. Mm -hmm. I think we think they know that, but I actually said to my son during that first conversation later, after we got past the, on the lawn situation, you know, we, I sat next to him and I said, you know, we love you unconditionally. Nothing you can tell us is going to make us decide we don't love you. Mm -hmm. We are for you. We are on your side. When we put 
protections in place, when we put boundaries in place, because I knew things would have to change, it's because we love you and it's our job to protect you. So I think, you know, being able to communicate that with our children in a way that they can hear it instead of, you know, using loud voices and and screaming and such. And believe me, I've done my fair share of that. But letting them know we're on your side and we love you because I don't, I don't think they get it, but also being vulnerable and being able to say to them, okay, I messed up. And I've always thought, you know, I want my children to hear that more loudly than anything is that when I goof up or mess up or I'm wrong, that I'm going to come to them and say, all right, I really goofed that up. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Because that's, that brings down the walls. You know, when there's walls, then they don't want to talk. And so, and then when they don't talk, then they are going through a lot of shame and guilt and right. all the same things, the emotions that, that we felt. So then you end up with a parent who is feeling very inadequate and then you have a kid who's also feeling inadequate. And then there's a lot of bad things that start happening yes. with that. So letting them know that you are on their side is such a great tip. It's like kind of like a prevention tip too, because yes. if you... Um, if you can just let them know and, and screen strong, we can just call that being their coach. And yep. we know that good coaches have, have the players back. And that's what we want our kids to feel like that we are their coach, not the culture out there, not the virtual world. Right. Um, we don't want those influences to be stronger than, than our coaching influence, if you will. Yes. So that's wonderful. I love um, I love that tip just to let them know that you're in this together, right? That thick or thin, you know, you're in it together. What's, what's another conversation. Maybe we can just talk about a couple with that being one of them, but what's another piece of the conversation? Like how much detail do you get into? Cause this is the big question, right? Well, right. if I talk about pornography, then that's going to make them interested in looking right. at more pornography. So how do you answer that? Yeah. I answer that by saying they're going to find out anyway. So you, if you're the first person to tell them about pornography, then they're going to hear what you want them to hear and they're going to know what you want them to know. So you can become the expert on the pornography. So we want to, I heard the phrase normalize the conversation somewhere, so I won't take credit for it, but it's fabulous. We want to normalize the conversation about pornography and about sexual activity. And we do that by talking about it and using those words, using those terms, using the proper terminology to talk about it. Because when we start the conversation, then they'll know that we're a safe place. We, mm-hmm. They can come to us and talk about it more. So I say give as much information as possible without going into specific details. And my son did give details, but not to me. He didn't, you know, I didn't need that to know that information. He told me as, as much as he felt comfortable telling me, bless his heart. I had to, I would ask him almost daily, how you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I'll think that, okay. The thing that's a really good tip, I think being consistent and being in the moment and in the present tense with all of these conversations is really important. Um, So I'm, I agree with you. I have three boys and it is a daily, maybe not daily, but it could be daily. <laughs> I mean, depending on, you know, I, I, but I mean, I'd even, even when you think that you're kind of past some hurdles and whatnot, 
It's not a bad question. You know, oh, no. and, and I would ask my kids, I still, I ask them very frequently, what have y'all seen today? You know, has, has anything come up on your laptop? They don't have smartphones, so we don't have to, to do that. And they'll tell me. And so I, 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 I love that you said that even, I mean, I just love that you said that maybe you don't, maybe you didn't ask them all the details about everything, but you can ask them how they're doing and what have they seen today? That what are your struggles? Yeah. What are your triggers? What are your, what thing is going on right now that that's upsetting you? Yeah. Asking the open-ended questions and, and not just because you want to know the answer, but because they need to know that you care. Mm-hmm. I asked my son recently, I'm writing a book. And so I was asking him some questions for, for the book. And I asked him, well, so why was it important that you and I had those conversations? Was that helpful to you? I think mm-hmm. was what I was asking him. And he, he said it was helpful because I knew you cared. So that, that spoke volumes to me. It wasn't the details of the conversation that was really as important as him just knowing that I cared and I do care. Right. And that's the reason why we have conversations. You just nailed it. The reason why these conversations are so important is to build our relationship with our kids. It is not to change their behavior. We wish it was. We right. wish that we could just have a conversation and we could also stop teen drinking and drugs and pregnancy and all of right. those things, right? Yeah. But we know that conversations don't change behavior. We know, though, what they do is what you just said. They build this incredible bond and they build this relationship. And once you have the relationship, then you can work through any problem that comes up because you've now got the basis to do that. Yes. I I think what doesn't work is parents who don't have the basis for that. They find out their kids are doing all this stuff. They're, they haven't, like you just said, established yourself as the expert. They don't feel like they're in a safe place. It's very awkward asking those open-ended questions and they don't want to talk to you. (laughs) So I think we, we just outlined some good tips there. Yes. Well, and you know, a great, another great tip is I didn't ever say the word porn or pornography. This was not a part of my vocabulary. So, (laughs) you know, stand in front of the mirror and say it a few times, figure it out, you know, do that awkward pause thing. And that was a part of our conversations the first couple of times after that initial conversation, when we, we decided to have the check-ins and we were, were doing daily conversations with him, I, you know, I'd look at the floor, I'd shuffle, I'd sweat a little bit. And I'm, you know, when I like say pornography, <laughs> but you have to do it because it doesn't, it doesn't roll off the tongue very easily at first, but eventually it will. And so now I, you know, I talk about it in the classroom and the first time I say it, the kids all giggle and then I, I just giggle with them. I say, yeah, I know the word and I know you all are, are watching it because statistics say that you are. And so yeah. we're going to talk about it. But what you're doing by putting the words to it and them giggling and all of that, what you're doing is you are shedding light in a dark place. Yes. yes. And that's what has to happen. And only adults can do this. takes away the power. takes away the power. And he can't do this. He kids can't parent themselves through this stuff. Right. I don't care how mature you think your kid is. They're not mature. They are intelligent, but they are not mature. And those are two very different things. But by saying those words, you are shedding light in this dark place. And then 
all of a sudden it, it just releases the, like you said, the power. And I think what happens too, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I kind of think then the next time the opportunity is presenting itself, your kids can kind of hear your voice, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Your mom voice. I mean, I think if it's done in a very non-judgmental way, I get tired. I get a little bit tired of the stereotypes that are put on moms around this. You know, we get kind of a bad rap sometime, right? <laughs> I agree. We educate them though. I mean, yeah, like you said, in a non-judgmental tone, like it is my job to make sure you understand the dangers of this so that next time you can think, oh wait. Yeah. And they, if, the, if you don't have those conversations, then they'll, they're never going to hear that voice when they need to hear that voice right. when they're on their own. So I love what you're doing. I love that you, you're making this just a, such a normal thing to talk about. It's so unfortunate, of course, that it is. And pornography today is so much worse than it ever used to be. Right. I mean, it's been around forever, of course, but what I hear from parents all the time that are bit with this bug and they call me and they just are weeping and we get into conversations and they say, you know, if only it were just Playboy. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah. I have to agree with you. Um, It's not, it's video, it's graphic. It's, it causes a lot of violent. Yeah. It's very violent and, and it causes so many scars. And when I did a lot of the research and on our website, I'm sure yours as well, you can find more and more research on this and what it does to the brain. It actually changes the structure of the brain right. and the functional nature of the brain. And of course, as young kids grow up with this, they have some permanent changes around their entire outlook about sex in general. And older men that are past their 25th birthday, for example, their brain's already sort of done developing. They, they can get into a pornography addiction and they can get out of it and, and it can be without as many scars. But when a young brain gets involved in pornography at a young age, it causes more trouble down the road. And that's what I want every parent out there to understand. This is very serious. This is not, it's not, oh, well, or oops, It, it is a very serious thing. So we have to treat it seriously. And I, I want to say in our house, you know, we do have regular conversations about this. It's something that's not so taboo that we can't talk about it. We talk about it. And the way I've positioned it is I've almost made it a little bit like a competition, like it's porn against your brain. Now who's going to win, right? And boys love competition. So they take that very serious. And, And I just say, you know, my job is to get you through every day with as little in your porn library in your brain as possible because you're going to remember everything you see. So it's my job to keep that as clear as I can. I love that. <laughs> and I'm going to do this by asking you questions <laughs> and yeah. they're fine. And it's almost like you said a minute ago, like we're a team, I have their back and I'm on your side. And I don't know, it makes it, I, I won't use the word fun, but it makes it easier. Yes. And we want to make it easier. Do you think it's possible for teenagers like I'm interested in what what with your son, is it possible for them to grow up without a smartphone with the internet on it? Yeah, I think so. We, um, well, my daughter now has, a, she has a smartphone, but she doesn't have, it's not connected to the, like she can't Google anything and they don't have any social media whatsoever. And they think it's fine. 
you know, when I talk to parents and they're all like, oh, you know, the kids, they want all the apps and all the social media. <laughs> I just reply, my kids think it's fine. When somebody says, what's your IG account? They just say, I don't have one. And, and nobody gives them grief over that. I think they are begging for us to say no. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think they are. My kids don't have smartphones either. And I remember, and I've shared this before, one of my boys, after one of his friends at school got caught with whatever, and it was all a big thing. And it was all this, oh my goodness, just terrible stuff going on with all this pornography. He just said, mom, I'm just so glad I don't have a smartphone. And I, that just really softened my heart, you know, because he wasn't going to have one because of what I've all been through with all my other kids, but, <laughs> but I was so glad he understood that. I think yes. they feel super loved over it. And, yes. um, I'm not just saying that because that's what we do, but I love that you kind of said the same thing. When at some point they own it, like I, I tell my kids, you can use me as an excuse. I, that's fine. I, I have big enough shoulders for that. If your friends are giving you grief and you just can blame me, I don't have a problem with that. But you know, they're 18 and 20 years old now and they own it now. I don't want social media. They say it's bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's fantastic. That's so awesome that they're that age and they're still at that point. I'm hoping that's where my boys will be. They're only 16 right now, but I think that that's our goal to get them to love this life without having to have that. And, you know, you, you can find anything that you need for convenience on your laptop. You don't need it in your pocket right. all the time. Yeah. That's too easy. We always say that, the smaller the screen, the more porn viewing there will be. Yes. I, I, I Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. And um, to my detriment, I didn't even know that some of the devices hooked up to the internet. So it's not just phones. I like to caution parents that anything that connects to the internet is a potential gateway to porn. I think I read somewhere on one of the um, Facebook pages something about Peloton then they had no idea that it connected to the internet. You know what? Everything does. It does. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and my son was not watching it on a phone. He was watching it on a little iPod and I had no idea. You know, I didn't do enough research myself to understand what that thing did. And we need to be more proactive as parents and it's exhausting. It really is. And I feel badly for parents that have little ones nowadays because the more little devices you have, the more research you have to do and the more information you need to know. Right. And so he he was able to access all this on a, on a much smaller device. What are some of the other devices, real quick, to share with the audience? Just if you're listening and you're thinking you've got this thing under control because you have a parental control on your phone, right? what is Barb going to tell us? Barb's going to say anything that connects to the internet they can access pornography on Xbox, um, the Peloton, like I said, the iPod, the iPad, you know, any tablet, you know, anything that comes home from the school, you want to make sure that they're locked down somehow. And I know that's, that has been such a, a struggle over COVID, mm -hmm. such a struggle. Um, and I, like I said, I feel for the parents, but anything that connects to the internet, we want to make sure and any app too 
it could be a gateway because I've heard of people saying that through Pinterest or through the Bible app that their kids have sure. accessed pornography. So, you know, there's no safe app either. Right. That That's a big point to make. We have had other guests on here talk about how bad Pinterest is. And I think, you know, it's, that's one that you would never think, right? Right. But, um, so there is no safe app. So what are we going to do? Are we going to panic about this? What are we going to do about it? Yeah, not panic. Let's, let's communicate, let's educate and let's use the controls, use the filters, but realize that, that they're not foolproof. Right. You know, I like to say we don't, we don't throw a pile of drugs on our coffee table and expect our kids to say no to them over and over and over again. So we're not, let's not do that with porn. You know, let's not stick a device in their pocket. That's not, doesn't have any filters on it. Doesn't have any parental controls. So I'm not against those by any means. Um, Use them. Right. (laughs) Don't expect them to take care of everything. Uh, We still need to monitor and we need to have those conversations and let them know what to do when they do see pornography and that they let them know we're a safe place. They can talk to us about it. So a question I get is, won't they need to learn how to manage all this when they're older? And so it, don't you need to teach them how to manage porn right now? I mean, what do you, how do you answer that? Sure. Everything's changing. We didn't have Facebook 10 years ago. So why do they think that they're going to need to know how to do Facebook five years from now? They won't. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's and, and like I said, my kids are like, well, I don't have Instagram and I don't have Snapchat and I don't care to have that. I just think that that probably is not accurate information. Mm-hmm. And yes, we need, I get that. Um, I mean, I'm all for, you know, tighten the reins when it needs tightened and then let them out it, slowly. Um, I do want my kids to fail and falter while they're in my house so that I can teach them how to get back up again. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that doesn't mean I'm just going to hand them things that I know are are wrong for them. I'm not going to give them poison and say, oh, get out of this. That's a really good point because I think a lot of people think, well, they got to have this experience under your roof. I've had people actually tell me this before. They say, if your child doesn't have a smartphone, then they're not going to have all this first time porn viewing under your roof. And I'm like, well, uh, excuse me, but they really don't need to have first time porn viewing under my roof. That's really not on my agenda for what needs to happen (laughs) with my kids. And I think this is where we just have to stand up for our kids and stand apart from the culture, exposing our kids to toxic content or to drugs or alcohol when they're teenagers does not help them use it better later. Correct. It, it doesn't help them not use it later. So that's that's the key. So we have to get away from all of this myth that's out there that says, oh, you have to teach them now. If they don't have it now, they're going to binge and go crazy. They're not going to whatever. And, and if you look at the brain science, that doesn't line up at all. Right. Well, 90% of addictions start in the teenage years. And we, I'd say that in the classroom all the time. And that's because of the brain science behind it. So, you know, you're like you were saying earlier, you have a better chance of making it through that, that problem. If you, (laughs) if you see it later in in life and believe me, our kids have plenty of opportunity to fail and falter and make mistakes. (laughs) We don't have to create. We don't have to put this one in their path. (laughs) No, 
So let's make a big detour sign and and we're going to just detour around this hurdle. If our kids fall into the pothole, we'll get them out and we'll help them and we'll explain, but we are going to still keep our signs up and we're going to say, nope, we're not doing this. And if this is the platform that makes this a hundred percent possible, then probably I'm not going to give this to you. Can they hear it or see it on somebody else's laptop or phone? Sure. And we can't control that. That's not an excuse to give them their own. So right. can they get drugs somewhere else? Sure. But that's not, like you said, a reason to throw a pile of drugs on my coffee table just because you can find it somewhere else. I do have a rule when they go, especially when they were younger and they would go hang out with friends and new people and such in the neighborhood. I would um, ask them if they had their um, screens locked down and I would tell them that my kids were allergic to porn <laughs> and they were allergic to video games actually <laughs> too. And the moms would just look at me like, Oh my gosh. And I, and I said, no, I'm very serious about this. <laughs> we have a huge allergy and there's going to be a reaction. So, um, we would kind of <laughs> laugh about it, but you know, we, we actually do more to take a peanut allergy serious in this country than we do. a so true. Pornography <laughs> issue. Right. This has just been fabulous. The time has flown by as normal here um, in our little world. But I really want to end with you speaking to the parent right now who's listening, who just has discovered that their child has been dabbling in this. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that mom? What encouragement can you offer? What, What help can you offer her? Well, the first thing is you are not alone. This isn't the first time that this has happened. And the next is that this does not define you. This doesn't define your child and it doesn't define you as a parent. Um, There is hope. There is another, there's light at the end of the tunnel and um, their story's not over yet. And neither is yours. There's hope. That is really, really important. And I, I think there's that it's also okay to grieve a little bit. Yes. Yes. Um, I think it's, it's a little bit of a death of a, of a kid. I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I have a whole chapter on grieving in, in this upcoming book and I didn't even realize I was grieving, but I was. And yeah, it, there's a death of a child that you thought you knew. And it, it's not their fault. It's not their fault, but you, you you look at things, you just look at everything differently after that happens. And and I want to also just in conclusion say that it is a cumulative thing in the sense that if your child has stumbled on this and has gotten involved in pornography in any way, it's not over, like you said, it's tomorrow's a new day. Right. And it doesn't mean that we throw the towel in and just say, oh, well, they've already seen all this. It's got a cumulative detrimental effect on their brain yes, and on their personality and who they're going to become as a sexual human being. So every exposure that you can avoid you are winning the battle. Yes. You, you can't you can't throw the towel in ever. 
Well, and there will be setbacks. I mean, if your child has a problem, it didn't happen overnight and it's not going to be fixed overnight. So just because there's some setbacks doesn't mean they've failed completely. So it goes back to being on their side and and being persistent. And just, Barb, just having groups like yours out there, thank you so much for the time and the energy and the effort. What is what is the exact website again? Hopefulmom.net. And we'll put that in our, our notes too. But it takes a lot of courage. Thank you for being a hero out there and for just encouraging so many parents to shine that light in this dark place. And thank you for what you're doing too. Anybody talking about this is need gets kudos. <laughs> oh yeah. We've got to get more light out there and um, we're going to solve these problems one family at a time, right? <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming, Barb. And I hope you all enjoyed listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and head over to our website to donate and learn more about our Screen Strong Challenge, which is our week start of getting your kids back, getting them off these devices if you need to pull them out of their lives right now and just take a little bit of a detox there. We also have a new resource for you called Kids, Brains, and Screens 101. It's an educational experience for you. You just go to the website to screenstrong.com and go to the learn tab on that website. It's super easy to find. You click learn and I would just encourage you to sit down and look at this. It's free and it's a wonderful overview of our workshop material for you to share with your family, with your spouse, even with your kids to sit down and start having some of these conversations that we were talking about today. So also make sure to join our Screen Strong Families Facebook group where you'll find support from other parents just like you. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong. Stay strong.